Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we start with a history lesson this morning. The year was 1903, December 17th. Location, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Two brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, were attempting something that mankind had dreamed about since like the time God said, let there be light, you know, all the time. Um, they, man was dreaming about flying like birds in the sky, and uh, those two were about to do it. December 17th, 1903. Cold, windy day. Of course, it was cold and windy, December 17th, right? They took their contraption called the Wright Flyer. I'm sure pun intended, but they never admitted to that. Uh, less than favorable, favorable conditions, but they knew if they didn't do it on this particular day that they might not get back to Ohio for Christmas Day to celebrate with their sister Catherine. So off they went. And what a day it was. Four successful flights. The longest flight went 852 feet and lasted uh, 57 seconds. Um, they thought for a moment that they'd be able to fly the four miles back to the actual town of Kitty Hawk with a tailwind, uh, but that was soon thwarted because a gust of wind tumbled the plane over in, end over end and damaged it beyond repair. I don't think that plane ever flew again. I'd have to fact check that. But anyway, um, there was ended any hope for a quick repair. But that did not curb their excitement. They went back to Kitty Hawk, uh, North Carolina, and they heard, they sent a telegram to their sister Catherine. Um, and we have actually have that. I mean, she was uh, she knew what was going on. She, she's called Catherine. Their sister is called the A um, Aviation's unsung heroine, key to the success of her brothers. The telegram looks like this and re reads like this. And we had to kind of um, fix it up a little bit so we could read it. Success. Uh, remember, it's a telegram. You get charged by the letter, so they keep, they want to keep it succinct. Success. Four flights Thursday morning. Stop. All against 21 mile an hour or 21 mile wind. Started from level with engine power alone. Average speed through air 31 miles. Longest 57 seconds. Inform press. Home for Christmas, Orville Wright. Well, Catherine did inform the press that her brothers had achieved something that no one had ever done before. Started from level ground on engine power only and flew for nearly one minute. Now, if you don't think that's impressive, I'd like you to go home this afternoon and take your lawnmower and see how far you can fly that and how long you can keep that in the air, because that's basically what these guys were doing. So, okay, so Catherine takes the news to the press, runs into the editor's office and tells him the news from her brothers, all the details, you know, four flights, 852 feet, 57 seconds. And she says, can we get that story in the paper? He's like, of course we can get that story in the paper. And she says, oh, by the way, they're going to be home for Christmas in case you want to set up some kind of interview to get some more details and get some more uh, things going there. So the editor says, we'll get this out ASAP. And he did. Now, I have to paraphrase this a little bit because newspapers used to work a little bit differently than they do now. They kind of work the same. But um, there were major headlines throughout the paper. So they would get their big headline because it took a lot longer to print these things, get a major headline. And then if something else came up, there'd be another headline later on. Well, this took place. This headline was on page six. Now, remember what they did. Four flights, 852 feet, seven, or 50, 57 seconds, something that mankind had only dreamed about, right? Here's the headline that they put in the newspaper. Right, brothers are coming home for Christmas. Talk about missing the point, right? The title for today's message is Missing the Point. And man, did this guy miss the point. First heavier-than-air craft uh, makes a historical flight, and all the editors say, hey, good news, the boys are going to come home for Christmas. Now, I think there's many times where we um, maybe are having a conversation with somebody and we say to them, hey, man, you're missing the point here that I'm trying to make here. And, you know, we're totally oblivious to ourselves missing the point all too often. But 
I think we miss a point a lot. Now, I'm going to say this. Missing the point in your everyday life, at work, and at school, you're on your own. But when it comes to the point of missing um, the point of the Bible, the point of God's will in your life, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to focus this morning. The point of God's will and God's purpose in your life. Um, maybe I can help you with that. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. But unlike that newspaper editor, uh, we should at least be able to get the headline right, if, even if the details are a little bit sketchy. See, the thing is that that narrative that we read a moment ago um, about the disciples, uh, the disciples had been missing Jesus' point for a long time. They'd been missing it for most of the time, and uh, especially for the last several months. But Jesus had told them in no uncertain terms exactly what was going to happen, exactly what was going to go down, and exactly what was going on. And yet, they kept getting the headlines wrong, and they kept, getting, kept missing the point. So now, I'm going to show you several different gospel writers just to show you that this is a common theme through the gospels, a common theme out of Jesus' mouth. Before we get to that, let's look at Matthew 16, 21. It says this, from that time on, Matthew uses that phrase three times, and it's always to signify that something significant is happening here. It's some kind of a, almost like a, a change of events, a turning of a corner from that time on. It's a very significant phrase in the writings of Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay. So a uh, couple quick things in here, um, like I said earlier, just kind of talking off the top of my head. That word explain, um, that's a Greek word, dikneuo, uh, dikneuo, and it means to, to show, to expose to your eyes. To, um, and it's also like a legal term, to, to give evidence of something that's happening. So Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things. Okay, so now if you're paying close attention to this here, you'll notice that it's basically the narrator talking. I mean, it's not Jesus talking, it's not one of the disciples, so if we had a play going on here, this is a, uh, the narrator giving us information that we need to have to understand the other things that are going on here. So the things that he says, he must be killed on the third day, raised, from, uh, raised to life. But it's really setting up um, Jesus' actual words, the things that Jesus actually said to the disciples that we can read and we can sink our teeth into. And like I said, that's okay, that's Matthew. Let's look at Luke real quick. Luke 9, uh, 44. By the way, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. Um, for, you know, kind of context here, Luke 19 is where we see um, Lamb Selection Sunday, what we call Passover Sunday. This is chapter 9. This is way back now. So chapter 19 out of, I think, what, 24 chapters in Luke. So we're early on here. Jesus says this. Listen to carefully. These, this is Jesus talking. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Okay, so that might be a little ambiguous, but he gets on to the point in a second here. Um, listen carefully. Those are uh, certain words. Um, in NASB, this is the NIV version. In the NASB, it says, let these words sink into your ears. Um, the NLT that we hand to our uh, teenagers says, listen and remember. Listen and remember what I'm about to tell you. Jesus says. So if we don't do that, if we don't have that in our mind, you know, um, listen carefully, listen and learn. Remember all these things that, uh, that we're going to be reading here, we're kind of missing the point. We're kind of missing what Jesus wants us to, to get out of this and what he's trying to say to us. So, okay, that's Luke 9. Okay, so again, we got to kind of command this. Now, again, I, that's a little ambiguous, but he gets straight to the point in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9. Like I said, we could flip around different gospel writers, stack them all up, and see what Jesus said here. For he, of course, Jesus, Jesus was teaching his disciples and telling them this. The Son of Man, me, he's Jesus saying, is going to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. Is there anything unclear about that, right? 
And when he has been killed, he will raise three days later, rise three days later. I mean, I've said this before, you know, in just straight up transparency here, we don't understand every word and every phrase and every tidbit that's in the Bible. There's some things that make us wonder exactly what is it we're talking about here and how is that going to work? But when God wants us to understand something, he says it with certainty and he says it with clarity, right? There's nothing unclear about this. There's nothing veiled about this. There's no mystery about this. Jesus says, I'm going to be handed over to men and I am going to be killed. And then I'm going to raise again on the third day or three days later. In Luke 18, get back to Luke, because I said now that was Luke 9 a second ago. This is Luke 18. It says this, Jesus took the 12 aside, right? Just us, he's saying, because that's his inner circle, right? I'm telling you things, he said to them. I'm telling you things that I don't tell everybody else, and you need to hear these things. And we get to peek in on this. We get to be a fly on the wall in this conversation. Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Just think for a second. Last week, we talked about that road to Emmaus, right? And what did Jesus do to these, with these two disciples? He said he started with the law and the prophets, and he went through and he said, these are all the things that were written about the Messiah. These are all the things that are going to happen to the Messiah. So he says, all those things that are written, they're going to be accomplished. They're going to be fulfilled. They're going to happen. And then look at the detail he has here, right? Verse 32, for he, Jesus, me, I, will be handed over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, mistreated, and spit upon. I mean, that's incredible detail, right? These things actually happen like that. And then verse 33. After they had scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Verse 34 is the key, though, to what we're talking about here. Look at that first sentence. But the disciples understood none of this. They didn't get it. Because they, with the Messiah, they were thinking about writing a different headline. They weren't thinking about the Messiah being killed. They were thinking about the Messiah being here, taking care of us, doing these things for us. The meaning of this statement was hidden. That's the Greek word crypto, where we get like cryptology and things like that. The statement that was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Right? The disciples understood none of these things. Translation, they're not picking up what he's putting down. Remember back in Luke 9, it said, listen and remember. Remember the things that I'm trying to tell you. Remember the things that are going down here. They didn't understand when Jesus was arrested. They sure didn't understand when he was mocked. They didn't understand when he was spit upon. They didn't understand when he was flogged. They sure didn't understand when he was killed. And you know what? They didn't understand when he rose again three days later. They understood none of these things. They didn't understand what was going on. It didn't make sense. And they missed the real headline. Now my question for us this morning is, what about you? Are you getting the right headline for who God is, who Jesus is, and how he works in your life? We talked about um, before, we said, you know, um, A.W. Tozer has a quote that says, uh, what, you, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Right? What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I said, if I gave everybody a three-by-five card and said, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? Everybody would have a different answer. If we were all to write a headline about who God is and how he works in our life, we'd all have a different answer. And we'd probably be as far off as that cat was in, in Ohio that said, right, brothers are going to come home for Christmas. Forget about everything else. We just kind of go for the things that we want to hear, the things that we get in our minds. So what headline would you write? Let's get back to that in a moment here. 
Let's get a grip on where we are in the sequence of events here. Jesus, Jesus had, had appeared to his disciples at Al no less than five times. There looks like, as we're reading through Scripture, it looks like he had appeared to other people um, at different times in there, but we have five of them recorded before he's here with the disciples here on the beach when they're fishing. Jesus had previously sent a message to them um, to meet him in Galilee. He was a little ambiguous with that. Where to meet him? He didn't say. Where or when? He didn't say that either. So at this point in history, the gospel lesson that we just read this morning, that point in history, the the, um, disciples had lost their patience, and they don't know what to do. And as we just sang, um, wait upon the Lord, right? Maybe you can relate to where they are. Maybe, like we say, you can turn that, that gem of Scripture and you can look in it, you can see your own reflection there because there's times where we have to wait on God and we don't always do that. We don't always understand how it's done or why we're even having to do that. Waiting on Jesus. We live in a, a microwave world and we serve a God that cooks in a crock pot a lot of the times. And sometimes we're impatient and we want to get at it. We get impatient and I'm always talking about putting ourselves in the narrative. We've got to put ourselves in this narrative. This one might be a little bit easier to do, a little bit easier to digest. Or maybe you can relate to the story um, about Saul that Heidi read for us earlier out of 1 Samuel 13. Saul is the king of Israel, and he's there with the Hebrew army, and they're ready to take on the dreaded Philistines, right? They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. They're going to get, it's going to be tough. And they're waiting for a Samuel. Samuel's a prophet. They're waiting for Samuel to show up and, and sacrifice uh, a burnt offering before they go into battle. That's what God said to do. Wait for Samuel. Wait seven days, he said for Samuel. And Saul um, didn't do that, right? He didn't do that. The problem is that Samuel isn't there. And Saul's men are starting to panic. And they're starting to literally desert the battlefield. And Saul starts to panic. He takes matters into his own hands. He says, eh, that was a big mistake, Right? He said, bring me that stupid animal so we can get this thing sacrificed, we can get out there and we can start this battle. But God's command was to wait for Samuel. God's command was not about the sacrifice, it was about obedience. It was about following him, it was about obeying what God had said in the first place. He was supposed to wait seven days and he kind of did. You know, we got a baptism after the service today, right? And we said we're going to do it on Sunday. But, you know, if I wasn't here at 7.30 in the morning, they came up, would they do this baptism themselves? That's basically what Saul did. He said, wait for Samuel. It's going to be seven days. And don't set the clock and say, you know, on the seventh day, dawn of the seventh day, Samuel's going to show up. That's not how it happened. In fact, Saul just gets done with the sacrifice, and Samuel shows up, and he goes, what are you thinking? This isn't how it was supposed to go down. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. That's the day Saul and his sons died, by the way. So Saul was really missing the point. He thought more about the sacrifice than it was about trusting God, really obeying God and trusting God. And we get that backwards all the time. If we just do this, if we just do that, if we just go there, if we just handle that, then we can do that for God and we won't have to wait for him because then we'll take care of it for him, right? Big mistake. Wait upon the Lord. Which brings us back to our disciples who were supposed to wait in Galilee for Jesus but got impatient and they went back to their former way of living. They weren't just going back to fish. They weren't just out there recreationally fishing one day. No, they said... The party's over. It's, it's done. He's not coming back. Let's just get back to what we know how to do and we can maybe scratch out a living like we had before he got here. And Jesus prophesied that. Jesus said that's about to happen. 
Look at John uh, 16, 32, the first part of that in NASB. It says, Behold, Jesus is saying, an hour is coming, and it has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home. That word home is in italics. Um, that means it's been added by the translators for us to understand that line better. And sometimes those words help us, and sometimes they get in our way. This one gets in our way a little bit. Because what this really means, not just his own, their own home, it literally means back to their way of life. Back to the way they were before they encountered me. Back before the way they were before they had uh, an encounter with me, before they were with me. So this case, it gets a little unnecessary, right? It gets in the way to each his own. So the disciples had missed the point, right? The disciples had missed the point, and they messed up the headline all in one fell swoop. Peter says, that's it. Let's go. Party's over. Missing the point, Right? Whether it's missing the point with a telegram talking about the significance of an aviation historical moment, or if it's missing the point with Saul missing the point, what he was supposed to be doing, the disciples missing the point, we're missing the point. And we get the headline mixed up all the time. These seven disciples were missing the point when Jesus said, the Son of Man must be killed, suffer and die, and then rise again on the third day. But that's not what they wanted to hear. They said, we got the Messiah right here. We know what the Messiah is supposed to do. He's supposed to liberate us from these nasty Romans, this oppression from the Romans. So with Jared Elfson's genius here, he went back and he scoured the, the archives and he found a newspaper headline that the disciples wrote from the Roman reader, Monday, April 3rd, the year 33, this is the headline that the disciples would want to write, right? Messiah to clear Roman oppression. This is not a real newspaper, by the way. I'm not sure. Jared's, Jared's a genius, right? Roman, it should be Roman numerals, right? Duh, Jared. Extra, extra, read all about it, though. That's a headline that they wanted to talk about. That's what they wanted to be out there. That's the headline that they would have written about who God is, how he works in our lives. Back to Luke 18, the disciples understood none of these things. They didn't understand what was going on when Jesus rose from the grave. It didn't make any sense, and again, they missed the real headline. Now my question is, what about you? Are you missing that headline? Are you missing the point? Let me put a point on that. If someone asked you what it means to be a follower of Christ, what would you say? What would, what would your words be? What headline would you print? Would it sound like 852 feet, 57 seconds? Would it be some good facts? You know, the excitement where it would be, oh, brothers came home for Christmas kind of thing. Missing the point. Would your headline have something to do with the promises that God has that we talked about up here a second ago? The promise, would your headline say, well, since I'm a follower of Christ, then the world is now made out of nerf, Right? The disciples, like I said, understood none of these things. How much of that do we understand? How much do we understand about the will of God? And if our headline was talking about the will of God, what would we say that that is? Well, it's the will of God for me to never break a bone, never stub my toe, never to go bankrupt, always to you know, have all these things going on in the right way in my life. Now, I'm not talking about can you quote scripture or how many stories can you tell. I'm talking about the nuts and bolts will of God. What would your headline be? How would it read? What words would you use? First of all, have you ever thought about how important it is to know the will of God or thought about the will of God? Ephesians 5.17 puts some skin on this. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That word foolish is kind of a unique word in the Greek language. It means to be willfully ignorant, to willfully not understand it. 
To avoid knowledge is what it means. To avoid even talking about it or to understanding it. And that word understanding is another unique word. It means to bring everything together. To bring it all together. So the whole counsel of God, you know, the whole Bible we talk about, what's the will of God? How does that work? We need to understand it, right? The disciples didn't understood none of these things. We need to be able to understand these things, the will of God, not just hear it. In order to understand it, though, we've got to first hear it, right? We've got to hear it from Jesus himself because he says these things a lot. Way back in John 6, 38 through 40, we'll take this one at a time. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Okay, Jesus was sent here to do God's will, so we know that God has a will. Then verse 39 starts all this, and this is the will of God. Boom, when we're reading something like that, we should probably underline it and say, you got my attention. This is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. And the plot thickens here in verse 40. It says this, For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. So our headline for what is the will of God doesn't have anything to do with avoiding car accidents, avoiding accidents, that our checkbook will always be balanced. Anybody use a checkbook anymore? Everything will be just honky-dory, right? That's not what God says his will is for his people and for his followers. He doesn't talk about this earth. He doesn't talk about this life. He talks about eternal life. So when it comes to missing the point, we expect God to do all these things for us here in this life. We expect everything to go just perfect, everything to go the way we want it to, when we want it to, and how we want it to. And when it doesn't, we'll take our matters into our own hands like Saul did. We'll just take care of this. Let's just knock this thing out and keep going. Or we'll do what the disciples did. Say, well, you know what? I guess that isn't really there like I thought it was, so I'm just going to go over here and see what I can eke out. God says, just hang out for a second. Let's just be patient. I'm going to be there. I'm there all the time, and I'm going to show up at a time when you're not expecting, like he did for the disciples. They weren't expecting to find him there on the beach, but yet there he was. Nothing to do with life, you know, having a weed-free garden or no mosquitoes at our picnic or things like that. But here's the thing. When the disciples found out who Jesus was, when Jesus met them on the beach, they realized that they were missing the point all along. They understood that. And that the will of God has little to do with this life and everything to do with eternal life. They understood that. And when the disciples saw Jesus for who he truly was, They wanted nothing to do with their former life. They said, let's just forget that boat, let's forget those nets, and let's start working with him. Let's start going in this direction, start doing these things. And then we start living into those commands, we start living into the promises he gives us. The things of the world, they left them behind so that they could get those out of the way so that they could join God and who he is and join his ways. That's our challenge. We're missing the point when it comes to the Bible if we're saying anything other than the song that I had you guys singing with me saying, how can this even be possible that the creator of the universe stepped down onto this earth to save us, a bunch of people like us that have nothing to do with it, but he brought it there for us and to us. So those are the things of the world. Those are the, that's the will of God. So my, my question for you now is, can we at least get the headline right when we talk about the will of God? Can we stop missing the point and start understanding God's point? Would you please stand with me?